I was actually setting up to interview another guest recently when she told me, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to keep this really strict to just the hour. I have to leave right away. I'm seeing my therapist right after this. Well, yeah, absolutely. I told her. We'll probably just talk for 45 minutes anyway. Great, she said. I'm really looking forward to this session with my therapist. (laughs) Now, it's not just of note that this guest was really looking forward to her therapy session, but also of note that this guest is a spiritual director. About two years ago, I wrote this piece about therapy after reflecting on my relationship with my therapist over the course of many, many years, that therapy is not for weak people. Therapy is for people who want to live into their strengths. Therapy is not for broken people. Therapy is for people who want to live healed and whole. Therapy is not for sick people. Therapy is for people who value their health. Part of what I expect you'll hear in my conversation with KJ Ramsey is that posture towards therapy and what is now known as self-care, the practice and belief that confessing and facing my shortcomings is an expression of health and strength. Check it out. Where are you? Uh, Denver, Colorado. Oh, really? Yeah. How long have you been in Denver? Where are you? I, I live in Martinez, California. Do you know California at all? Not super well, just Southern California. Decent, oh. like Orange County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. How long have you been in Denver? Since 2013. Okay, so you weren't born in Denver. No, I was not. Where were you born? I was born in Michigan. Oh, wow. Where in Michigan? I love Michigan. I was born about there. <laughs> you do the thing. <laughs> it's literally the thing that people from Michigan do. People from California are like, um... Somewhere, yeah. Here. But yes, you, you're fun. from Michigan. You're from, what town? Benton. Uh, give me that in relationship to like. It's thirty like minutes Detroit, south of East Lansing. Beach. Oh, okay, got it. Very cool. Which now people know about for very yes. sad reasons. Yes. Yeah. Um, what made you move? Um, I left at seventeen for college and never went back. Yeah, and my family lives in Montana now. Okay. Um, they left they too. there for like 12 years or so huh. or more. So yeah. Was it the dream? Just, like, did you, or was it part of the dream? Like to leave and not come back or like, oh, did, did you? Oh, yes. Yes. I, uh, <laughs> you said, oh, oh, I wasn't even done with the question. Like, yes, yes. Yeah. I was trying to leave. Yeah. Well, um, I was a very strange child. Okay. And I <laughs> am still a strange adult, but I basically was like, uh, I planned on leaving the United States as soon as I was capable of oh. leaving family. Like, I just was a very anti-American um, dream, which comes out in my writing still. But, like, yes, it does. I just I wanted to be a missionary, which obviously changed. But I was just like, I'm going to leave my family and all of this stuff. And I'm going to go to Africa, which is ridiculous and embarrassing now colonialism i I disagree but go ahead but well there's parts of it that really were my like romanticism not actually like a calling but um yeah so i left and i went back i never went to africa i just i had a lot of other things change my heart in good ways but um yeah it was always Um, a plan to leave 
Do you think of yourself as a, as a Michigander who has moved? Do you think of yourself as uh, a Coloradan? Do you think you're, like where is when I say yeah. home? Where is home for you geographically? Colorado, Colorado really? is home. Yeah. Why? Yeah. What? One what? Second. It's fine. I have to pick something off the ground you're that fine. my dog is trying to get. There's there's cheese. There's like these little cheese crackers that she really wants. My <gasps> Be right uh, which, back. It's fine. Which dog is this? This is the puppy. Her What's... name is Risa. Risa, knock it off. After Teresa of Avila. Look at that. But she's not being real chill and saint-like right now. I don't know. I, I can maybe see Teresa being like, look, there's some cheese on the ground. I can um, see Teresa in that. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I don't be sorry. I'll try, I'll try to be professional now. This is totally fine. This is like, we're being <laughs> professionals. Um, So... What made being in Colorado, like once you're there, like how does it end up becoming home? Because you and I both know like folks will, folks have a different emotional resonance with different places and folks can, you know, from certain states, Michigan can sometimes be one of them. Oregon is usually one of them. Texas is definitely one of them. Someone will leave Texas at four years old. They'll live in 17 different states, four different countries, settle down somewhere for 20 years and be like, yeah, I'm from Texas. Yeah. Why did Denver... Why did Colorado end up feeling like home? How does that happen for you? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. Um, it happened, well, I, I do, I'm from Michigan originally. I say originally, so that's the, the verbiage I use. I think Colorado has become my home because the life that I had in Michigan was a life that had a lot of chaos and abuse. And Colorado is a place that has held some of that too, but it's where my husband and I most made our own life and like stepped into a better story. Okay. And so this is where we've developed a lot of courage and, and it's where we've, um, one of the places there's others too um where we've developed relationships that have really made us who we are yeah so that's why it's home there's a and there is some resonance here with your work with regards to like trauma and suffering and practice that there's a there's a there's a way that like as a child like someone else prepares your home for you and you don't have control over that which is part of why the suffering and the trauma is as it is which is that's why it's so deep and then part of the way that gets uh, or can get reconciled, worked at. The part of how healing happens is like having the capacity of the space, an actual space sometimes, to create a sense of home for yourself that lacks those things. I mean, that's why part of it was like, did you need, did you want to leave? Like, what is it, and, and why does Denver Oh, it's clear. From? It's clearly obvious I wanted to leave. Yes. <laughs> and and I don't hate my family. Um, no. But there is a, there's a lot of complexity there. That's so. good. Um, Living in Denver, um, are you, wait, you're not in Denver, Denver. Are you actually in Denver? No, um, we used to be until the last couple of years. We were west of the city, um, which is lovely. Um, okay. Because there's a lot of hipsters. There's a lot of pretension. In Denver. A lot of pretense in the city limits. And I'm about done with that. <laughs> it is a straight especially up cool kid amongst, town. Especially amongst the Christians there. Oh, really? So... Yeah, I'm like, I want to just be with regular people in the suburbs. Okay. 
it's guess safer that, for me. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, give me what, what does it look like for you to like live an average week then? So you're home. I'm assuming you're doing some of this. You're you're writing. Yeah. You are a therapist. Like, what's your what? What's a week look like for you functionally? Yeah, I I spend about half of my week uh, work in therapy, um, and then the other half is spent currently writing my next book um, yeah. or doing the things associated with it. Yes, such as interviews or you know social media. Um, yes. but writing writing my next book takes up a lot of my space and and then i rest a lot okay <laughs> my my dog is uh loving my lamp that turns on and off with touch i see it it's really good <laughs> i'm sorry don't be sorry i like sometimes, that they play a part in this this is your life sometimes my husband and i like plan that they're with him when i do interviews and sometimes it's just not possible so they're with me i'm happy i'm happy life. to see them they're yeah. literally right next to me right now, and it's precious. Good. Um, so yeah, writing so... writing clients, uh, you're half your week with clients, mm -hmm. um, half your, which we'll come back to you, half your week with, uh, with uh, book-related things. Mm -hmm. um, it's, would you consider yourself bivocational? Is it like this is all one work and there are different yeah. arms? Like do you consider them different spheres? Like talk about being someone who has, yeah. in a sense – there, folks, I'm, I'm a therapist. I work with clients, and that's it, and I'm done. There are folks who, like, I write books, that's it, I just write, I'm an author, and that's it. I have a therapist, I'm, you know. Um, yeah. You are a therapist, and we resonate, you know, we have resonance here. We're like, I, I, I work in therapy, I also write books. Um, does it feel like one large work, an extension of the same work, or does it feel like there are two different spheres that have some overlap? What's it like? What's bivocationality yeah. for you? So... For me, it is like one whole, and it's just a matter of the way that it looks functionally. Okay. Yes. Uh, but they they really feel to me like two parts of one whole sphere, hmm. and they are reciprocal in how they empower me to show up and yes. to love. Yep. So I, I always knew when I was in school for therapy, for example, um, to become a therapist, I I knew like I'm not going to be that therapist who can um, see clients full time. I I am too big. A, I'm too big of a nerd. Why? I, what does that mean? I love research and okay. reading and compiling information and like okay. i need my mind needs that large swaths of time to delve into a subject to feel alive it's just part of how i'm wired yeah and and i'm an introvert and so like oh. i have a i have a limited capacity okay when it comes to how much time i spend talking yeah so, so uh, there's a there's an interesting little note i want i want to pick at um, yeah. so when you talk about, and I, this is, you, you, you already have picked this up. Like I, part of how I'll do interview, like we'll just mostly just have a conversation. There's some things I'm yeah. going to do real specifically later on. 
um, I'm gonna throw throw something out and see if I got if I hit a mark, and I'll probably miss. And you can tell me how how badly I've missed. I'd rather do that. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. So, that's great. like, you like for you therapy when uh, I'm trying to talk. I think is Eugene Peterson writes writes about the difference between the, uh, like pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. like being a pastor and being a therapist. And he said that being a therapist, you predominantly envision like people are people are their problems. I think this is probably, I think it's an overstatement. I think it's an oversimplification. Yeah, I've, I've read that that portion. He's one of my favorite people. And yeah. that's one area where I think that there's, he misunderstood the yes the role of therapy. I view it as shepherding. Okay, really? Mm-hmm. But there's a difference. So, because you said, you, you said, uh, you're talking about like, you have a limited capacity for for like people involvement stuff like direct one-to-one yeah ish like as a a, a... yeah it's it's more a matter of um i'm a highly sensitive person and i know that i have to be careful with how much i take in so you do you and and so far as like you end up whether you want to or not you end up carrying some stuff out no i think if i didn't live if i didn't if I was not intentional about the way that I spend my time, yes, I could. But because okay. I have known this about myself for years, I, I set up the rhythms and boundaries of my life so that I can show up fully. And yeah. for me, that means I see a limited number of clients and I, you know, I am careful about how I schedule my time yeah. so that I can fold. Full, like fully show up and yeah. be very attuned to whoever I'm with, and that is the gift. It's more, it's yeah, it's more about yeah, stewarding the gift than not having it or yeah, whatnot. It's just I have to be intentional, and I think we all do. Yes, I just I have to be very intentional, partly because of my personality and the way my nervous system's wired, but also because I have a severe disease and I need a lot of margin for my body to sometimes not feel well and other times be okay. I have to have room for my body's limitations. Yes. I found it interesting. I'd love to come back to, to your limitations. Um, uh, I found it interesting the way you juxtaposed uh, client work, not client work, that's me, I'm a coach, uh, therapeutic I work. I do say, yeah. Did you I say clients? I called it my clients, yeah. Okay, good. Client work versus research, where like with research, it's a topic that can be picked apart. There's more of like a, like it's it's not as human, whereas with like it's a different, uh, like it's a different emotional labor, a different energy. It's more for me about um, where it's, they're both relational for me. Hmm. It's more about where how much energy, where my energy is going. So with a client, I'm still using the same muscles of curiosity Hmm. and compassion as I am when I'm writing. But when I am writing, I am pouring all of that emotional attunement and intensity into connection of ideas and communication of ideas. Yes. And when I'm with a client, it is, I'm all in with you and I'm, and I'm listening. I might be crying. I'm yeah. going to, you know, help you slow down your breathing. Yeah. Um, so it's a matter of where that, where the energy is focused and I, but I view them very much as relational. And it's funny that you mentioned Eugene Peterson, because I feel that out of probably 
it's been hard to find people who share the 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 bivocationality that I do and yeah. he's one of the people that I think really walked out that path of these two parts of his identity that were so linked they're not separate right they but you know his his writing and his pastoral work I, I really do view, I know not every therapist does, but I do view therapy as shepherding and yeah. it is, is a pastor. It's about presence and yeah. a pastoral, loving, compassionate presence for people. And that is what pastors should be. Pastor. And so he's, um, he, he is my person actually. It's That's funny interesting. That he's like who I go to when I, I, I always, I'm almost always reading a Eugene Peterson book because he is a voice who reminds me that it is good to go slow yes. and to get low with folks and that God is here on the margins Yes, and I am not behind. This is good. So yeah. he's my, he's like my pastor from afar. Yes. Beyond the grave. He, I'm currently reading, uh, I think it's called Con contemplative pastor or the contemplative pastor for my spiritual direction, uh, cohort training, um, apprenticeship with Anamkara. Um, I think what's surprising about your take on therapy um, uh, and su surprising and challenging, uh, which maybe it shouldn't be because it's like, it, like it's, you know, everyone's different. Let everyone do their thing differently, it's, you know, whether it's pastoral ministry or leadership or therapy. But is like oftentimes the like what is expected or hoped for even is a kind of clinical uh, indifference mm -hmm. um, like in a therapist. A, because then as a client, like, you know, you want to feel cared for, but like there is this element where like you kind of, you want to be dissected. Like, I just want to figure this crap out. I have this problem and people tend to, I shouldn't say people, I have tended to go to therapy when I've done it poorly in the same way as I would take like a pain medication. Where, like I have a problem. Mm -hmm. I need to get yeah. in here. I need to put this in my body to fix this and just move the hell on. Um, That's for me. On the other side of that, like the 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 risk or the danger of not being clinically uh, separate hmm. uh, and disinterested uh, is that, or at least the way it's communicated. I've never been a therapist. Is uh, that you end up carrying like a like a like a doctor would? Like, you know, we lost a patient. Can you walk away from that? Um, hmm. A therapist ends up carrying like this marriage is falling apart. This person's like this is their sixth cycle through the same depressive thing. It's worse every time. And you end up mm -hmm. carrying that trauma. How do you end up not caring? So if you view your work sort of more like uh, more like shepherding, which is more pastoral, which is it, there's a different kind of emotional expectation and attachment there. Mm -hmm. How do you either like keep yourself from over attaching and carrying around someone else's crap because that's not good for you, and right. or like how do you carry some of that? Like what's it look like for you? Like how do you actively keep yourself from disintegrating under the weight of lots of other people's trash. Yeah. So I believe with my whole self that you are a, you are not a problem to fix. You are a person to love. Hmm. And that begins the practice of extending that love begins with extending that love to myself. Hmm. And so I feel that I am able to be both a, attuned clinician with expertise about neuroscience and 
nervous system regulation and attachment, things like that, like that pastors don't generally have training in, as well as someone who is relationally present and kind and who maintains boundaries. You know, I, I follow all the same ethical standards as uh, as my colleagues. Um, hmm. But I, I really do believe that it's that practice of being a person who is loved that makes me capable of extending hmm. a presence that does not become too weighed down with the weight of our problems. And that, that really is through this intentionality about how I live my life and, and the ways that I, you know, I, I, we are all, the way that our bodies work and, and our souls work, we, we are like sponges. Mm-hmm. We, and especially some of us are more spongy than others that are yes. highly sensitive. But yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yes, I am. I mean, yes, we are. Yes, yeah, you probably are too. <laughs> yes. Um, but we're all like sponges. We're all constantly absorbing the presence of the people who are who we are with. Hmm. And that is a beautiful thing. And it can also be, this is part of how trauma becomes so completely wounding deep, deep within us because yes. we've absorbed so much curse, essentially cursing yeah. of our, of our belovedness. Um, but as a, as a clinician, I, I am very, I am committed to absorbing the loving presence of God hmm. more than any other presence. Hmm. And so I, I have practices in my life of how I absorb that voice who calls me loved yeah, and that I carry that with me. And, and, you know, like I, I probably show this on a million podcasts, That's interviews, great. but I, um, in therapy, for example, I hold the holding, holding cross. cross yeah. and I, and I practice breath prayer and I like am attuned to the pace of my own breathing yes. and the, the way that my nervous system is responding to yours and the fact that we're having this interview and, you know, we don't really know each other that deeply yet. Right. Um, I'm, I'm cognizant of that yeah. so that I can be grounded in the mm-hmm. love of Christ That's good. and extend that love to you. And that same thing I do with my clients. So I think that's how it's, I, I have to, I have to be absorbing the love of God every single day, all throughout the day. And I get to, and it's yep. beautiful. And I also am committed to being known yeah. by real people in my life who are not impressed with me. So the key yeah. thing. I want to jump to a couple of things you said uh, and, and, and branch out from there. You, t- you use the word boundaries. A lot of people do. A lot of people do and don't mean it. <laughs> uh, a lot of people. Yeah, ha- I mean lo- it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do and don't and, and have no idea what that what that looks like. Um, you actually have and there's there's like a twofold conversation I want to have here. You actually have on uh, on your Instagram feed. It's the first thing in your stories. Mm-hmm. Like literally, you you set up. It's actually straight up might be called boundaries. It is. I'm looking at it right here. It's, it is. <laughs> it says IG boundaries. It's like the first thing. Like there's your there's the image, and then like before you get to any of your posts, it legit says IG boundaries. I will say a couple things. One, thank you. Two, I have I haven't seen this before, um, where someone will uh, how should I say this? Well, someone will kind of there's a, it's it's like a, a it's like a door sign. It's like, hey, before you come in here, I want you to understand 
this is how this space works. Um, usually we learn that after crossing a line or after seeing, some, seeing someone else cross a line or, or watching the person whose feed it is disintegrate in, into some form of maniac behavior. Um, and then we're like, oh, boundaries have been crossed. Uh, crap, this went wrong. Um, you set the t- you set the tone here. Um, d- is that because so? And this is this is a weird way to ask this question. Is that because you don't feel safe online, or is that because you do feel safe online and you want other people to figure that out like you did? Yeah, it's both. So okay, I I think that safety. Well, I'll I'll um go back a tiny bit. I believe that boundaries are about creating space to flourish for our relationships to flourish so it's Mm -hmm. saying it's it's as though this is for everyone this isn't just about instagram but it's as though you know social media too or life relationships Mm -hmm. it can be like walking out into this open field and there's you know i live in in colorado so maybe there's a mountain lion in this field and it's it's as though there there are predators out there there and and on social media there really are and I've experienced that like hardcore being attacked yes. <laughs> by folks yes um especially in the last year with a lot of things politically uh mm-hmm. but the sometimes we have too the field is too large and for the sake of our own ability our capacity to show up as who we are we need to have a fence we need a smaller place within this field where we have set up some boundaries some fence line against predators like mountain lions coming in and we say in this space we mow the lawn <laughs> hmm. in this space we we practice being compassionate and curious yes in this space we do this, this, and this, and 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 that's not just online, but that's important for how we function yeah. in all of our relationships. And we need to have places where there's a gate to walk into the like into the yard, um, because you know there's studies done of of kids uh, playing out in like backyards. If there's no fence line, kids actually will stay closer to their parents playing out in that yard. Than they w- than they do if there's a fence set up in the yard. A fence actually gives space for a kid to go play on the swing set. Yes. It, it, having the boundary marker actually gives you space to show up and and be fully there and fully alive and fun. Yeah. Part of what I really like about what you're doing here, and uh, this is a conversation I'm I'm constantly after with regards to like life online, because I yeah. I don't at all at this point. I used to be kind of on the fence about this. I'm no longer on the fence. I don't at all buy the notion that like there's real life and then there's life online. I don't buy yeah, that at all. I don't. I think it's very. I think it's very real. I think it's deeply I emotionally find it impactful. Offen- I find that phrase offensive. Yes, ma'am. So yeah. the thing you just did, uh, just simply in the phrase, you, you said in this space, which is to say, um, there there are different spaces. So what part of what boundaries do is they actually they protect the folks within or they give you know signposts or freedom to the folks within them, but they also designate particular areas like this is this is this space which is to say it is not that space over there. My mom, I, I literally just jumped into a conversation about my mother. Yes, 
And yes, that says a whole lot about who I am psychologically. Um, <laughs> my mom, this one of the, the the most caring, deep, sensitive, incredible, you know, like deep feeler type person. Mm-hmm. That's where I get mine. I'm like, I recognize the sensitivity that comes from my mom. I super feel that. My mother, um, in 2000, I guess it would have been 2009, 2010. Uh, was almost escorted out of the Oakland Alameda Coliseum by the by security because she was being so loud and toothy at, that the people around us were like, can this woman, I mean, she's 78 years old. Can this woman please stop swearing at the Oakland Raiders? Uh, like, she, But like, that's a different space. Like this is the, here, here, here are the permissions allowed in the space. Now, that's a funny way to get into the thing that online there are different spaces that allow for or invite different behaviors so to say yeah life uh th- this is what behavior looks like online because that's off- that's how the conversation often ends up happening it's like well people who are online or people who are on social media and then there are these all these blanket um judgments and prescriptions about how to do this right i'm like well yeah but facebook is different than snapchat and 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 instagram is different than and 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 by the way like kj ramsey's feed is different than engaging with the with the MMA feed or whatever it is like it's a different like yeah. <laughs> this space versus but behaviorally it's not ju- even just about the content it really ends up being about the behavior of people mm-hmm. in that particular space i love that you set that tone like in this space which then means yeah. to some degree isn't it isn't it uh i'll make it a question is the onus then on people who have their own who are curating their own spaces to do something like you did to say, this is what it looks like here. I'm not asking you to prescribe behavior for the entire internet, but I am saying yeah. this, is this a preferable practice to, to, I, I to come to a, think... so, so, some self-knowledge and say, if you're going to be here, this is what I need in order for you to live in my house online. I do recommend it because I think that we, and, and those boundaries are, are only really some of the outward facing ones. There's a lot more that I have that I don't broadcast about how I show up and when I put it all away. Hmm. And that's super important. I think that we underestimate the impact that our social media consumption and and content making has on our lives. And, and I'm not like you, I, I don't think the bifurcation between online and real life is is real i think that it's all real Mm -hmm. but i think that we we need to give ourselves fenced in yards in which to flourish and i think that we do a disservice to our own souls and our our view of our own importance um our capacity to walk in simplicity and humility and joy Mm -hmm. um our our capacity to be present with the people who live under the same roof as us when we do not set up fence line for the places in which we show up. And so yes. as an author, I, I do really encourage other authors, people who have to have an online presence like we do, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole other conversation. The have to, it's the have to, whatever. Yes, but um, I, I think it's a it's a kindness to yourself. It's a recognition that you are human, 
and you actually do need to give yourself limits in which to thrive. And the people that you are trying, I, I, I view social media as shepherding. So the people whom I am, I am hoping to shepherd, Mm -hmm. they need these limits too. In part, I've cultivated a community where people share really personal things in my comments. um, People share their stories and Mm -hmm. they, they are engaging with their lives in some tender places. Mm -hmm. And I believe that they deserve the honor and respect of their, as much as I am capable and the others in our community are capable of those very tender, holy things being respected. And so part of the, the reason I put those particular boundaries up again the other day was um, somebody on my feed after I had put a, put off my boundary very clearly in a post about faith over fear being a toxic half-truth. I said, I'm not willing to argue about this in the comments, but if this rubs you the wrong way, please go talk about it with somebody offline. Like have a conversation because that's, you don't really need to talk to me about it. You need to talk to someone about it. But they were really committed to talking to you about it. But they were really committed to talking to me and saying, (laughs) you're not, you're not giving us proof text for why this, for where this comes in the Bible. And I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do your work for you. That's good. And some other people of my readers started to reply to this person. And the, and this person just was attacking these people who were being mm. so tenderhearted. And that's where I said, you're welcome to leave my feed. You're, yeah. you're welcome to leave my comments. And, you know, we made our boundaries clear. And I feel like at this point you're being really rude and yeah not respecting the people whom you're talking to. And it isn't really about me. It's about no. my readers and I'm going to fight for them. Yes. Well, and that's part, again, that comes back to in this space and you being responsible for it. Um, yeah. I want to jump to talk a little bit about the book and, um, and I want to get to something really specific about the book. I enjoy the book. Um, there is a, there's a chapter title actually that um, I that actually gets to it. You call you says suffering is a transformational space. Mm-hmm. Um, in a minute, what I'm gonna ha- what I'm gonna ask you to do is I I, I played this game uh, of sorts. It's like a it's like a kind of practice of lexicon where I'll just kind of put some words on the table and let uh-huh. your brain go wherever your brain goes with them and see what's in there. Uh, cool, that'll be fun. It's great, but before but before I, this is the word I want to lead into that practice with. I want to talk about suffering. Uh, and later I'm going to talk about, I'll just give you a heads up, I don't normally use, we're going to talk about trauma too. But I want to talk about, you, you, you use the word suffering really specifically. And then you call it, you say suffering is a transformational space without like me reading sections from this, which are good. People should read the book for sure. Talk about suffering is a transformational space. Is, is not suffering just a thing that happens in life? In other words, like in what like in what ways is, is suffering a transformational space? Like how does that actually work? Because that's yeah. sort of the heart. That's sort of the heart of the book. Is it it's is. and that's why I like this. The, that title jumped out at me. Was like this is sort of where the rubber meets the road here. Because if that's not true, there's a there's a whole lot else about what you're doing here that like doesn't actually work. So talk about suffering as a transformational space. How does that actually play out? Yeah, it all comes down to the story of Jesus. Okay, same work. So we, I, I believe in a God who chose to become embodied, to develop from a baby into a man, 
in a body that had limitations that suffered and chose to die. Mm. And it is, it is Jesus's willingness to suffer and my union with him by the spirit, which is an incredibly mysterious thing that is beyond comprehension. And yet as real as seeing your face right now, Mm. it's this union with, the pain bearer, Christ, this person who willingly chose what I would not willingly choose. That makes my experiences, the part of my story that I did not choose, that I do not want, that I would like to avoid, that I would love to be rescued from. It makes these parts of my story sacred. Yes. His willingness changes my experience. Okay. Because I I believe that Christians... Every, everything that we do is lived in union with Christ. Hmm. Every, every word that I speak, every breath that I take, every time that I'm in the bathtub trying to make my joints stop screaming in pain, yeah. every moment where I have been gaslit, mm-hmm. every time I speak to my therapist, Yes. All of it, Jesus does in and with me. Mm-hmm. And there, so there is no part of my life where Christ is not present. And I think our whole lives are learning to receive that as true. Yes. And I believe because of his suffering, the uniqueness of his suffering, suffering itself of these parts of life where we come to face to face with our limitations, with the reality of death, with the way that trauma fractures us and fractures our relationships, there is something unique about suffering that yeah. gives us a, a a new receptivity to the presence of Jesus. Yes. I'm gonna to come to the second half of this question through the kind of a, like a, a, an odd back door. Um, uh, Eugene Peterson, to some degree, is one of my people. Stephen Colbert is one of my people. Colbert, oh, he's one of my people too. Colbert is one of my people man. because for him, he—I mean, I think he's—I think he's powerful as a as a figure and as a leader, and in part because his humor isn't divorced from suffering. In other words, for him, it's funny because of how important it is. Like, it's not like we're going to poke fun at things to so that we can take a break from the seriousness of things. It's funny because. Uh, of how important it is. It's like the, the importance of it to some degree is embodied by our ability to enter into it through the gateway of humor. So he, I don't know if you saw the interview between he and Anderson Cooper, but Cooper was utterly confounded. We watched and, most of them though. <laughs> yeah, he was utterly confounded by a thing that Stephen Colbert had written about suffering mm-hmm. um, and was almost offended by it. Like he, like, uh, I don't know how, how much of Anderson Cooper's story you know, but like there's a bit of trauma for him mm-hmm. in a few areas. Yeah. And, he, and he read this thing that Colbert said in an interview, in, in, had written in an, in an article about um, being thankful for the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And he mm-hmm. and he he finishes he finishes reading the line, and he's choking up in tears. And there's like it seems like, and I try to read people, and I'm always I'm always like at least sixty percent wrong. But it seems like there there's confusion and like some of the anger that comes along with it. Like can't, you can't mean that. And he says like, do you really believe that? 
And it's not one of those mm-hmm. like inter- it's not it's it's why I like the interview moment because it's one of those moments like this is no longer an interview. This is a guy who has a lot of respect for another guy. These are two people online, two people in the world who have massive power mm-hmm. in a room talking about and and Cooper like breaks that wall down and says, "I need to ask you this question. Do you actually believe this crap?" And Colbert launches into this incredible, beautiful, poetic thing that only he can do about mm-hmm. if I'm thankful for my life, I kind of have to be thankful for my whole life. Yeah. How do you keep from glorifying and minimizing suffering? Because I think mm-hmm. the issue that it, that it seems Anderson Cooper had was doesn't that make that massive wound in my life too small to be like, hey, just be thankful for it? Like, how do that you keep... That is not my message. Yeah. Right, exactly. And it's not your message. So how do, you, how do we keep from minimizing or, uh, or, or glorifying? Glorifying is not the word I want to use. Like, how do but we yeah, keep... you're talking about a continuum. And yeah. on one end, we are dismissing, dismissing the whole method. thing. On the other hand, we're saying, we're like, suffering is a gift. Therefore, this is my whole identity. And there you go. Yeah, there's a continuum, and it's. I think we vacillate where okay. we're at on that continuum. But I actually, while I was, you know, answering your question before that one, very aware that what I'm saying is offensive. Hmm. It's, and it's hard to wrap our minds around. Yeah. I I have experienced the the wounding of being told that I should just be thankful that I have this disease yeah. Um, or that I should just, the, the other side of that coin is like the wounding of being dismissed. Like I shouldn't still be sad about this because all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right. I, and, and so writing my first book, writing this too shall last was an act of courage for me to stand in the middle of that continuum and say, I am not going to dismiss your pain, hmm. but I am also not going to allow pain to be the only thing in your story. Hmm. Because I, I have, I believe, it's like, where do I want to take this? I believe that, like Colbert, my whole story is sacred. Hmm. Your whole story is sacred. And the way that our culture works, it's often the the painful parts of our stories that get discarded along the road of our lives. And without picking up those broken pieces, mm. the parts of our bodies that hurt, the the memories of abuse, yes. the the ways that we've been pushed out of the church, all of these things, without picking up those broken pieces yep. and holding them with a new kind of compassion and and respect and dignity. Yeah. We will not walk forward into this beautiful experience of God's kingdom and joy as whole selves. Yes. That's good. So I'm saying don't leave your don't leave yourself behind. But I very much bristle against the language that suffering is a gift. I think it's hmm. it's it's dangerous language. That has too much um, propensity to miss the point that it's actually like you have to feel this pain in order to transform this pain and be transformed in it. 
So yeah. That's or, even, or even phrases like, pain, like pain is a great teacher. Ah, uh, man, I struggle, I struggle with that as well. Like I, I yeah. think you, I think I can learn, but that's on me. Like pain's yeah. not trying to teach me anything. Uh, my like my, my body might be communicating and i get to choose to learn that but until that point until i until i execute and engage my own agency in that pain's not out there being like hey i've got something real important for you and there's yeah. a way i want you to live no that's not what pain's doing pain like pain is ripping my let, life apart let me ask you a vulnerable question so with all that i just shared like how do you personally receive that i know it's this is hard stuff right yes so for uh, for my own practice (laughs) oh no for my own practice that's part of the it is it is offensive let's you know we live in a world in which one out of every four at least women has been assaulted sexually physically by a man it's a hell of a thing for me one of those four yes ma'am yeah so it's a hell of a thing for me as a straight white christian male to be like yeah it's all sacred you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so yeah. some of some of it goes to part of part, part of this is why I do podcasts instead of just like talk, is because there are things that can be said from certain perspectives that can't be said from others. That you know, like, in in other words, we go back to like in this space, <laughs> in 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 this space, I can really only say so much about the sacred nature of suffering because there are con- there yeah. are culturally institutionally types of suffering, I will never and could never begin to think about the possibility of looking into maybe experiencing yeah. on any level. Like, I have no freaking it's idea. It's the person, here's the, here's the, I think, a helpful distinction. It is the human being who is experiencing those things, who yes. is sacred. That's good. I like that. And it, and I think that sometimes being willing to bear witness to the horrors that happen to us makes us more capable of knowing how holy we are. Yes, that's good. That's but, great. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate your what you need to say in your space because that is the rub. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go into this game. We're going to play a game. And I'm going to put some words on the table and I just want you to... You can either... Define the word the way you understand it. You can let let it lead you into a story. You can like whatever goes off literally in your head. Um, okay. Bring it to the table. We talked we talked about suffering a bunch. Um, mental health. Therapist. <laughs> um, I think of my own therapist hmm. and who I just saw last night and the just goodness of having someone who bears witness to you and your story Mm. um also with mental health i think this last weekend i i spoke at my church's women's retreat normally i hate things like that um but i really actually loved it it was great um it's the first one i've been on with my new my church that i've been part of a couple years now and I shared from my new book and part of it I talk about I saw the face of Jesus in therapy and the, mm. the, the Jesus that I met in therapy is the Jesus of the Gospels and I had someone come up to me afterwards who said she was crying and she said thank you I feel like I belong more in our church now because mm. I've I've been through a lot of therapy and I've and I've never had someone 
speak up front and say like they saw Jesus in therapy. Yeah. She's like, so I feel like I belong more because of what you said. So I think of that with mental health. Like it's, it all belongs. It all belongs Mm. and we need to tell each other it belongs. Talk about trauma. Trauma. Well, I immediately think of spiritual abuse and I think because that's a big part of my story with trauma. Um, I think of complex trauma and the way that some of us, including myself, have had such prolonged experiences of our personhood being diminished that our our nervous systems struggle to receive love and safety. Mm. And um, most of the people that I work with in therapy, I would say the, the majority, not all, but have complex trauma. And, yes. um they're the most resilient, stunning human beings that I know. Yes. Well, let me point out one more thing then. Yeah, um, please. I, trauma is really anything that overwhelms our nervous system's capacity to feel safe. Yes. And so there, there are, you know, we as therapists talk about like big T traumas and little T traumas. There's the there's sometimes big T events mm-hmm. like being raped, um, molested. There's a lot of things we don't need to get into for the sake of our our own nervous systems right now. Mm-hmm. But there's also um, prolonged like there's prolonged abandonment, neglect. There's spiritual prolonged spiritual abuse. There's there's so many ways that our nervous systems can experience the world as an unsafe place yeah when we experience the world as an unsafe place that is often trauma and that's good and really like so the healing of trauma is really what every human needs um it's that like capacity to reach down go to the depths of the the base response the frozen even part of our nervous system where we feel like our life is being threatened to learn how to be so compassionate to our bodies experiencing stress Mm. that we can be a a kind friend to the part of us that feels like we are about to die yeah um and and all the way up so it's for me it's all about the nervous system i like that and like and we become more resilient as we befriend our nervous systems. And therefore, we start to experience life as less traumatic. Mm. But the fact that we have experienced it as traumatic is not our fault. You use the word I wanted to go next. Uh, healing. What is healing? <laughs> Such a big one. I know. That's mean. Um, a little bit. Healing. I think healing is... <sighs> the willingness to be made whole Hmm. and it is this gathering up of all the parts of ourselves and naming renaming them as blessed renaming Hmm. them as beloved wow that's good and it is a lifelong process and it is a process that we don't do by ourselves Hmm. we were made to be interdependent and so healing happens in being heard and being seen being respected and then offering that to other humans too for all the broken pieces of themselves that's really good uh last one because it features uh not as a word per se directly uh, uh-huh. but i want you to talk about 
uh, spiritual. Um, <laughs> like mm-hmm. you, like you know, like your work uh, is often when your work is described, people talk about like they want people don't like using the word religion. I don't mind it at all, um, but like and or, or even even the word Christian, people were trying to like market wise, like there's a is a place for for the word to some degree but with regards to like the nature of a thing like you're doing the word spiritual ends up being really useful yeah um um, can you talk about what it means for you what what does the word spiritual mean for you yeah i i do bristle against the word spiritual because i think it's often used in a similar way to what we talked about with social media i think Hmm. spiritual is often used to like delineate between there's a part of you that's spiritual and there's a part that's not. And I think there's nothing further from the truth. It's good. Obviously I've been t- telling you all morning that, you know, your whole life is sacred, yes, but <laughs> um, so, so I guess to recover the word would in my work mean to be a witness to everyone that I encounter or who encounters my work that they are a human being made in God's image mm. and that there is there is a sacredness that thrums through every part of their life, every part of their body, every every speck of matter that they encounter from my coffee cup here to the glasses you're wearing on your face. There's there's a holy majesty in every part of this world it's good and so spirit my so spiritual is just like bearing witness to that reality that there is more than we can see here but Mm -hmm. it is in honoring what we see that we come to be part of this bigger reality that's really good thank you for your time this is really great and thank you for listening to this episode of the at sea podcast If you would like to follow up with KJ Ramsey, you can find her at kjramsey.com. From there, you can bounce to Instagram where I ran into her for the first time. And also, you can link from there to any of the places that she prefers you pick up her book called This Too Shall Last. If you'd like to become one of the team members who makes this podcast happen, check us out at patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts, and I'll see you there. Until next time.